0: people are buying from other people yeah people are buying from people who they feel like are authentic who are not robotic Mm -hmm. who are not you know hopping in your inbox and immediately trying to sell you people thrive off a relationship and I think that's how I have been able to retain a lot of my clientele and get my clientele because if you ask me Where where does most of my clients come from? It's word of mouth. It's not even Instagram. It's not Facebook. It's not TikTok, which I don't even use. (laughs) um, It's not any of those things. People come to me because they heard that somebody else worked with me and that person had a good experience and they want to see what we can do together.
1: Hey, hey, folks, let me let you in on a little secret this week that's right december 3rd is my birthday and i've decided to do something special for you right on my birthday i've decided to do something special for you which is to provide you a free training on how to transition from corporate to entrepreneur so If you want to figure out how to make that transition, make it seamless, then I want you to click that link down here in the description so that you can get your free training and do some things that you can implement in your career journey today. That's right, you can get your results today just by taking this free training. So go ahead and click the link in the bio, do yourself a favor. Happy birthday to you and happy birthday to me. Now let's get back to the episode. Well, welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young, and we are here with the Miss Beautiful Brittany Holmes Jackson.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Yes. I'm excited. We're going to get into your story, get into yes. your journey, yes. all of that. I'm so, here for it. Yes, me too. Come on. Look. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, um, I would like you to go ahead and introduce yourself to the all listeners. Right.
0: For sure. So, hey, y'all. I'm Brittany Holmes Jackson. I am the founder and CEO, that nice stuff, of Brittany Holmes Jackson and Co., which is a literary agency um, that helps new and aspiring authors write, tell their stories, and push out their stories beyond just publishing their books. So. Basically, I'm a business coach for writers, Mm -hmm. so we're doing more than just writing the book and publishing it. It's more about how can you brand that book into um, a a platform for yourself as an author um, or even beyond that, a coach, um, a counselor or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you would like to extend it to. Building that legacy so that people know who you are forever and ever and ever. Um, I'm excited to be here aside from BHJ & Co, um, the Work and Play podcast. So, of course, I have to talk about my nine to five um, because I know that's something that you help others navigate and figure out exactly where they fit in that dynamic so I do work as an educator by day I love the kitties but definitely enjoy the work that I do outside of academic teaching so the impromptu therapy sessions with these with our with our babies um and their parents um which has actually led me to study marriage and family therapy. So I have a lot going on. There's a lot, a lot <laughs> to get into. A lot to get into. Yes. So, um, but yes, I'm, I'm almost finished with my MFT degree, which will allow me to transition out of the classroom What's and really oh, Mary, yeah. marriage, marriage and, and family, family therapy. therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gonna help me really reach children and their families in a way that I feel like I haven't been able to in the last 10 years of being inside of the classroom.
1: Mm. So I'm
0: excited to be here. Thank
1: you for joining. So I was, ooh, I want to get into this one so we can yeah we can definitely get into your story but when you say um you can now get into into their stories and, mm-hmm. and help them in ways that you haven't is it because like that bureau, um, bureau bureaucrat, bureaucratic uh-huh. red tape absolutely
0: okay absolutely uh, teaching to the test yeah um, trying to make sure you get all of the curriculum in in a particular mm-hmm. amount of time does not allow for meaningful connections now that's not to say that Myself and other teachers are not doing it. It just takes so much um and to the point where sometimes I will for- forego a lesson because we need to talk about you know the bad thing that was on the news last night or beyond even more personal how the person who was on the news last night was a family member because mm-hmm. those are the the, uh, the demographic of children that I do teach who typically find themselves um, in the midst of gun violence, gang violence, um, poverty, things of that nature. And they have to bring all of that to school every day right. as 10, 11, 12 year olds. Um, and parents also have to bring that stuff in when we're talking about, you know, your child's grades and why they're not paying attention in class and all this stuff. And to be honest, they just want somebody to know, like, I'm doing the best that I can. So I truly, excuse me, believe that therapy is going to allow me to break down that barrier um, that a lot of our kids and their families kind of experience mm-hmm. when they're in the class.
1: That's beautiful. And yeah. that's really important work. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. you just reminded me of like my um, my own school experience. I think teaching to the test has been more like a the last 15 years to, to a dec- decade to 15 years. Um, that we've been alive and mm-hmm. like the schooling system has. De- it was. It wasn't. I'm sure as good as it could have been when we were yeah. in school. But that teaching to the test is a big thing. And it being is. able to touch your young people in a way that absolutely is impactful. Absolutely doesn't. Which doesn't harness you. Um, doesn't hinder you. Through like, oh, we can't do this because of the rules. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that makes sense. And
0: that's exactly what that is. <laughs> and it can become very draining, especially for teachers who come into the field with the passion and the unction to want to teach Mm -hmm. it can be very draining to where they start to move out of the classroom Mm -hmm. you have people like me who you know, didn't know what the heck I was going to do after I got out of college (laughs) and this lovely organization by the name of Teach for America came on campus and told me that I can change all of these lives which I feel like I truly have I've taught well over 500 kids in the last 10 years and I do know that I've changed lives but I also know that this pathway was part of a greater purpose to lead me into another direction another field and to serve in a different capacity but in general being in this this space Mm -hmm. daily um and having to deal with what you what you mentioned earlier that that bureaucratic governmental like instruction and hardcore focus on this it's extremely um, demoralizing if you feel like you've been called into the classroom to do something more. Right. So, yeah.
1: Whew, let's get into that. So you you <laughs> yeah. mentioned Teach for America and mm-hmm. Teach for America is one that even like a, because I'm in the corporate space, a lot mm-hmm. of people I know have done a stint, stint or in Teach for America. Right. Um, when they thought they were gonna go straight to corporate or something like that so let's go back before you met teach for america like what did you think you were gonna be when you grew up
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know if i know thinking back on it now so the interesting thing is that i started writing books in high school so my first book came out in 2007 i was a junior Mm -hmm. in high school at the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) so telling my age um when you fine.
1: say your book came out like were you on amazon.com and yeah oh.
0: like i was i was signed to a major publishing house really Uh uh-huh. um and they had gave me they gave me a two book deal at the time and this is something that a lot of authors don't talk about now because a lot of authors nowadays are self-published which is what i help my clients to become mm-hmm. because i think there's a freedom um in publishing your own book however some do have the aspiration of being picked up by a traditional publisher. When you think about like your Simon and your Schuster or your Kingsington publishers, those are huge publishers who can take your books and turn them into whatever they want them to be. Um, if you think about fictional authors like Victoria Christopher Murray, Rashonda Tate's Billingsley, mm-hmm. um, those are some of the authors who I grew up under found to be mentors um, and, and that sort of thing. So when I started writing, it was you know you're traditionally published if you're self-published that means your writing wasn't good enough Mm -hmm. to be with these big houses Mm. um but when i started i was writing my mother's also an author um kendra norman bellamy is what she was writing under during that time she's now writing under just kendra norman um and she just kind of guided and cultivated me uh we i would travel speak to youth so that was kind of my introduction to working with kids, even though I was a kid myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I went to college, and at one point in time, I wanted to be a doctor. This is a whole story. <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor because my biological dad, who passed away when I was five, was in the medical field, okay. and I wanted to like live up to his legacy, or so what I thought it was, mm-hmm. um, but granted, I'm actually doing that now, ironically, um, in what I'm doing now. And uh, so I went to college and I was like, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore. Uh, I want to write. So I picked up journalism without a clear direction on where I actually wanted to go in journalism and without realizing where journalism was going at that time, because I um, signed up under print and news media. So I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be the next essence uh, or create the next essence magazine and all of this stuff. And by the time I got out of college, digital media was where it was at. Nobody told me. So I'm out here looking crazy. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and granted, I could have done an internship. I didn't, though, because I don't know what. I, I really can't tell you. I'm Now you got me reflecting on my collegiate get, life. Let's get into
1: <laughs> it. Because what I'm hearing is in it's, the present, you were making decisions based on one. You had interest you had experience and you had interest in writing Mm -hmm. and you said you had these aspirations that sometimes we don't even know why we have these aspirations but that makes sense dad was a doctor we're gonna help him pull on, bring on his legacy and at the point where you're like okay well I have this like journalism I know I could do a little something with this Um, and then I have you know the medical I don't really want to do that anymore so presently it sounds like you were making a decision that was like based Based on on,
0: yeah absolutely and I think there was just so many things at play at the time. I picked up psychology as a second major. I didn't want to go beyond four years. So I didn't take the time off to do like any study abroad programs or any internships because that would have slowed me down. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to my senior year, I had all of this skill um, developed in print media. Mm-hmm. And I had a bachelor's in psychology, okay. neither of which I could have done anything with. Not to the capacity that I wanted to. Journalism, in college, you have to have an internship. You have to have interns somewhere so that you can get your run of the meal, go get my coffee, and write this little rinky-dink story job. That's how it was working back then. Okay. And if you hadn't done that, it was going to be very difficult. I could have broken into, like, a news um, or magazine. I just didn't know what to do. Okay. I didn't utilize my resources. So that's a tip right there. If you're watching or listening and you're in college, whatever part of the journey you're on, use your resources. Ask somebody what you're supposed to be doing so that you can be prepared Ask. after you leave. Because I just wasn't. And I didn't realize that with psychology, oh, you can't do, you can teach psych mm-hmm. in high school or you can possibly go and study for um like these little behavioral counseling jobs that don't require a master's. But for most psychology positions, you have to have a master's. Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared to go back to school after getting out after four years. (laughs) So uh, I did the next next best thing I attended. I don't know where TFA came from. I don't know if I was at an event and they came and spoke at that event or if I went to something because I heard about them, but they were on UGA's campus, that's all I know. And I heard, excuse me, what amazing impact could be had and how I can help all of these children. And at that time, I was actually, I had a part-time job in the community um, around my college um, where I was serving as a program, after-school program coordinator for the kids in the neighborhood to come and get tutoring. So looking back on it, it was divinely ordained, absolutely but did I expect to be a teacher for 10 years? Absolutely not. So there, there, again, there's a lot of things at play, but TFA was like a guarantee. And it was literally if TFA calls me back first, or if I pass this GRE and get into UGA psych, um, their master's program Mm -hmm. first, whichever comes first is what I'm doing. Okay. TFA called and they was like, we sending you to Jacksonville, I was like, Oh I can get out of my mama house (laughs) And (laughs) y'all can put me in And not just out of the house but out of the state. I was very sheltered growing up so that's a whole another situation. But I was like, oh I can go somewhere So I was like okay I'm going to Jacksonville and I'm going to be a teacher and it was the most life-changing
1: thing ever (laughs) tell me about it so i hear about people who go to teach for america and they're so you were already working in your community Mm -hmm. and you so you knew about working in like you know the community
0: yes absolutely so what
1: was the most life-changing part about
0: um being on my own number Mm -hmm. one i was Mm -hmm. very sheltered growing up my mama was one of the ones who was like I don't know their parents. You ain't going. They in our neighborhood up the street. You better not go in their house. (laughs) So that was that kind of mama that I had. (laughs) We couldn't go nowhere. I had one friend who's still my best friend to this very day, whose house I could go to. And that was the only friend whose house I could go to (laughs) in high school. Look. Um, So with that, I was just like, I got to get up out of here. (laughs) This is too much. So having that freedom, it was my first time living completely on my own because I had roommates throughout college. Did not always have have the best roommate experience some were really great some not so great Mm -hmm. um then I just got to meet a a bunch of amazing people who I'm still very much so connected to today but then there was also this life-changing dynamic of this is a whole reality check I was teaching kindergarten in Duval County and if you know anything about Jacksonville Um, florida duval county it can be a very rough area depending on which side of the city you find yourself on and of Mm -hmm. course with tfa being um a organization that services underprivileged children or those who go to title title one schools who receive government assistance through you know these different grants and things of that nature then i was at a school where the environment was pretty rough and when I say rough I mean I had five-year-olds who would flip tables over in my classroom or go I had one (laughs) baby who would walk around the classroom and just punch everybody so it was very intense and very (laughs) very um eye-opening when you think about as people of color black people specifically we do not have the same Um, experiences Mm -hmm. and a lot of times we feel like we can connect with with each other just because we're black. Right. But the majority of the teachers who went down there that were black probably could have called themselves more privileged Mm -hmm. than the babies that we serviced every day. And it was very hard to connect because I'm looking like, oh, my mama don't play this. So I'm not playing this. In reality, a lot of the babies needed a lot more help than, hey, come let me teach you how to read. So it was very enlightening. I do believe that I found my purpose in teaching. Um, After I left Jacksonville, I left Jacksonville after three years. So TFA requires a two-year commitment. Mm -hmm. I stayed an extra year because I enjoyed living down there. I had an extended family down there. I joined a church. So I was really living my own life. But I ended up getting married in 2015. Yeah. And my husband was in school here in Atlanta. So I was like, well, I guess I'm moving back home. How'd you meet your husband? (laughs) We met... (laughs) You about to get my whole life (laughs) started. Okay, so we met met at UGA. He was coming in and I was leaving out, but he's not that much younger than me. He wasn't coming in like as a freshman and I'm leaving out as a senior. I got you. He had already received his bachelor's at Georgia Southern, um, and he was on this track to go to medical school, but he's had a very long journey with that and that's his story too so i'm not going to share it all but um he did not get in the first time trying right out right after undergrad so he ended up coming to UGA to study foreign language um cuz they had some really good study abroad programs there mm-hmm. and we met literally my senior year the beginning of my senior year he was coming in for this um i guess would be considered a post bac program um and we were just friends. We didn't start talking or dating until I was in Jacksonville. Because that's when um, you finally were free to have whatever <laughs> conversations you wanted. To. <laughs> well, granted, I was. You know, I was dating. Uh, we were. Someone was trying to get us together while we were on campus, but our friends, they were actually, our mutual friends were dating each other. They were trying to get us to come together and date. But I ended up dating somebody else in the meantime, between time. So Chris and I just ended up, my husband's name is Chris. We Mm -hmm. just ended up being friends. Um, We hung out a lot. When I moved to Jacksonville, we kind of lost contact. And then I think we reconnected through one of those mutual friends. And he ended up coming down in 2013. um, And we hung out. We ended up dating a little bit. Okay. Did not work out fully because I was not where I needed to be Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, my spiritual life and being ready for what he had to offer because he came properly. He came fully ready for like, okay, it's you and I'm good with you. And me, I was just like, well, I'm down here living life. (laughs) And I'm not ready. (laughs) It was horrible. Um, But then we reconnected again, literally almost a year to the date later, and um, ended up dating. Dated for about seven months before he proposed. 11 months before you proposed seven months then after that we got married
1: yeah, but you guys were already familiar so yeah
0: we were very like very much so connected we both wanted the same things we just were ready at different times um our families are both like very you know i don't want to say very traditional because people might take that to sound like real real old school but we have we hold very traditional values and yeah. that is what it is and i do think that that helped us to kind of stop with you know not even come in playing games or not even you know to to prolong the time like this is what we wanted and and we made it happen
1: Mm. so let's get into your spiritual journey because Mm -hmm. i feel like when you say you were you you believe that it was a call a purpose that's what you say you believe Mm -hmm. that going into those um classrooms it was a purpose um of sorts what was it like to, one, identify just because we're black, we're not the same. Yeah. And then, two, for you to actually say, well, this is a purpose because it sounds like that means you were kind of good at it.
0: Yeah. So. Um. I think the realization that I couldn't readily identify with the students who I was teaching was kind of a shocker for me. Because, you know, you go in and you think you can talk to the kids a certain way because that's how we talk Mm. um, or handle them a certain way because that's how we handle, you know, children in our communities. And it just wasn't that. A lot of the kids had a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. trauma that even I had not identified. I may have even experienced as a child because I was just taught to, you know, let stuff go. Um, But again, these were five year old babies who were the oldest of five in some cases, Um, some who had to take care of their siblings or walk with their siblings to school or um, parent go home and their parents weren't actually home yet, which was actually against the law but you know that was the life that they lived because parents had to do what they had to do um they lacked you know Mm -hmm. in, in areas where i didn't grow up lacking so my i was very i grew to be very empathetic versus being like the authoritarian that tried to enforce rules and enforce certain things of course I had to have had to grow to have a level of structure for them because without the structure, it, things were very chaotic. Mm. But it was also a matter of understanding like, oh, there are children out here who are not being diagnosed and they need to be diagnosed or they are being diagnosed and they don't need to be diagnosed. Right. There's a misdiagnosis. Like, it was just so many things, which is what brought me back to psychology eventually because I was just like, if I just sit down and talk to the some of these babies They don't need medication. They just need somebody to talk to them and hopefully help change whatever their circumstances are at home. Um, So it was in that where I feel like I did find the purpose. So in realizing like, oh, I can't identify with them. So like, how else am I able to help them? I just started digging into resources, asking questions, forming authentic relationships with, you know, children who now are easily in high school if i really think about it and i'm like well i wonder what they're doing now um and hopefully even if they don't remember my name like there is a remembrance of oh my kindergarten teacher you know she talked to me or she taught me this or she you know, share this with me and they still carry that because I do feel like that's where my purpose really was found and discovered in reaching beyond like, hey, let's open the book to page 20 and read, you know, this, that, or the third. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it took a lot to get to that point because there's a lot of resistance and even still is in expending so much of myself to... Be able to reach kids in that way because it can be very exhausting. It can be very draining, especially if you don't have something to take care of yourself with on the back end. But I know that it's also helping me develop like a level of patience that I did not have before that I can use with my own children. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also helped me to develop like listening skills that I did not have before that I can use now with clients. And when I'm talking to family children and having them like in a therapy session, I'm able to listen to you talk about what can seem to be nothing to me but everything to you for an hour or more. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely all of it has had its place along the way. Yeah, I've
1: been growing. And and I would assume that – no, I can't assume – But I'm listening to you and the growth that you experienced while you were in TFA. Mm -hmm. And then I also hear, like, okay, I wasn't where I needed to be when I met my husband. (laughs) And so a year later, you find that you're ready. So would you say that that experience helped develop you as a woman to be a good match for
0: somebody? I think it taught me to not second guess when prayers are answered. Ooh. Because... (laughs) That was a lot. That's not what I was trying to say, but there, there it is. <laughs> um, but Chris was always the type of person, man, that I prayed for. He was the type of person that I looked for in every single guy I ever dated. And I used to date, hopefully none to listen to your podcast. Or if they do, then like, hopefully they they're better. It's been years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they were trash. And by trash, I just mean, you know, they were good people, good hearted people, but their relationship, um, just understanding what it looks like to be in a monogamous relationship and are just one that's authentic, like mm-hmm. it just was horrible. Um, and I dated across the spectrum. My my sister always said, You ain't got a type, you just like everybody. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, Because I'm just open to whatever you are bringing to the table, right? Um, and that did allow me to get an opportunity to experience different things with different people, but at the end of the day, I was always looking for what my husband was even though I hadn't in some instances not even met him yet so I think
1: I've gotten so many questions about this brand and I'm super excited to share that this episode is sponsored by Black Is Wealth Clothing. Now, Black Is Wealth was created to inspire and empower our culture to tap into our wealth. Now, when we talk about wealth, we're not just talking about financial wealth, we're talking about the strength, resilience, and brilliance that lives inside of all of us. Now, by tapping into our wealth, we can create any form of wealth that we desire. So, if you like this shirt or any other shirt that you've seen me sport on my Instagram or any other other platform, then go check them out at blackiswealth.com. I love this one and y'all are gonna love it too. Now let's get back
0: to the episode. When he came along, it was like, oh, this is everything I ever wanted, but I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And so it was like not second guessing that your prayer is answered, but also being ready. Like if you're praying for something, you gotta be ready for it. Um, And you have to place yourself in position for that prayer to be answered. We could be praying for anything, a new job, but then when the job is presented, our resume not together, mm-hmm. or you don't have you know, your interview skills up, or the confidence to just say, oh yes, this is it, and let me right. go take this job interview. Mm. And that kind of is an interesting position to be in because then you're like, when things don't play out, we're, we'll blame God or whoever you know, we want to blame except for looking at ourselves and being like, I just was not ready. Mm-hmm. And so I had to look at myself. was like, OK, you pray for this, but you were not in a in position when it came the first time. So th- that whole latter part of uh, probably the months after when I broke things off cuz I, I was wanting to break things off the first time mm. because I knew where it was going and I was like I'm about to hurt this man's feelings. Okay. <laughs> um and I was like I'm just not ready. I have to, I need to, you know, make sure that I have myself together. Um and I procrastinated in doing that a little bit, but mm-hmm. then after I procrastinated and realized like girl, get yourself together. I started working on myself and it wasn't for Chris either because in my mind, I was like, I done broke up with this man. He ain't gonna be, you know, waiting around for me to get ready. So Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna get ready for myself and whatever happens or comes along next, I'll be prepared for that. And interestingly enough, it it was was him. him. Exactly, so, and I mean, I do praise God for that because even in the craziness that marriage can be, Mm -hmm. I don't think I would, I know that I would not be capable of doing it successfully with anybody else except for him. So, yeah.
1: Mm. Now, you know, I could ask you questions all day about the relationship, (laughs) but I'm not going to make this a relationship episode. However, I will say, (laughs) I will say, um, because we haven't gotten to your transition from TFA to Atlanta Mm -hmm. and then to being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and then even to becoming a business coach for writers. Yeah. Um, what has it been like over the years to have a support? Because a lot of us women don't have um, a husband, right, to yeah. like, kind of go through that journey. So what's that like?
0: Um. So moving to Atlanta, I was still teaching. I immediately got here and I was like, I got to find a job because, again, Chris is in school. He's mm-hmm. not working. Mm-hmm. So he's this whole time up until he got into medical school in 2017 so us dating from 2014 to 2017 was him trying to get into medical school Um, and we got married in 2015 so the first two three years of our relationship i'm supporting him um and that's where when i mentioned feeling stuck in the classroom that's kind of where i started to feel stuck because it became less about okay what purpose is this serving in my life to more about i'm having to take care of not just myself now but somebody else Mm -hmm. and granted i'm not sure what woman gets into a marriage and thinks that she's going to be taking care of her husband and the way i'm saying it isn't intentional because it's supposed to sound bad but the reality is that that also served a purpose in my walk with christ um to really again get me into a place of humility where i'm not focused on my desires my needs my um, whatever my stuff was it was more about other people and how can I be you know of service to somebody else whether it be children my spouse or what have you Um, so that's kind of where we started and I don't think I allowed Chris to support me he almost had to force his support on me mm. so the transition from going to work every day and just Feeling miserable because this is like the first couple of years of our marriage. He was like, This is unattractive. Oh, girl. So, first of all, my thought was like, Me supporting you is unattractive.
1: First, we gotta get the ego. Look, you get this ego
0: real quick. <laughs> so, uh, but he was like, No, he was like, You've lost your ambition. Mm. And he basically said, When I saw you on campus, going back to uga when we met Mm -hmm. you were ripping and running he we met at a magazine launch that i was one of the editors for he would see me on campus as vp of the Black uh black alum what was the name of that? bac black affairs council so we i was a delta so like he would see me like all over the place just doing stuff and when we got married, mm-hmm. it was like, I got to go to work and I got to teach and I got to pay bills and anything else that was I was passionate about. Because there I do think there's a severe difference between purpose and passion. Anything else that I was pa- passionate about, I kind of put to the wayside if it was not serving what I felt like was a purpose in my mm. life. Um so that resulted in a great deal of depression, anxiety, frustration, all this stuff and he would witness that I'll be coming home pissed <laughs> that I had to be at work another day or something happened at work the next day. Mm-hmm. There was levels of me that blamed him for okay. me having to work. Mm-hmm. Um and he just was like you're missing your ambition and it's not attractive. And so we had to process what that was and what that meant. Um, And he was basically like, I need you to go back to doing the stuff that you love, writing your books. Um, You know, he knew I wanted to pursue a degree in psychology because he knew I wanted to get out of the classroom. And granted, we knew that this transition may not happen until he completely finished medical school. Mm -hmm. But it was still this dynamic of, well, what can we be doing now so that you're not feeling like this until that that time comes? So for me, I don't think I noticed his support because of course it showed up differently he's not a very emotion driven person he's very logical which is the case for a lot of men and I think we as women because we're most of us are emotionally driven we think guys don't understand our feelings when in reality they're just trying to solve whatever the, they think the problem, problem is, is. So if we don't communicate mm. what the what we are dealing with, what the then, real problem is, right? So if we just walking around slamming doors and being angry. They're just like, OK, what is wrong so that we can fix it? <laughs> and then when I tell you that was like the hardest lesson to learn, because most of the times we're just like, I got it. Ain't nothing wrong. I'm going to handle it. And we just want them to understand and empathize with us. We have to teach them how to do that, or we have to just accept that they're not going to do that, mm-hmm. and just accept what they can do, which is typically like help us figure something out. Yeah. So for Chris, for a very long time, it was just figuring things out to try to get me to where he felt like, or to where I felt like I needed to be. Wow. Um, we eventually got to the empathetic part because mm-hmm. now, yeah, now like my feelings still exist, right? Because now <laughs> conversations are: Do you want a solution, or are you just venting? Because <laughs> like. Thank you for asking, this is what I need today, because sometimes I don't need your solutions, I just need you to know that I'm mad, okay? Yes. I love it. So, uh, yeah, so it took a minute for me to, first of all, realize that he was being supportive, because I was like, you just trying to run or fix everything, and you don't understand all the stuff that I'm sacrificing, and for him it was just like, I'm going to school with or without you and again that that emotion can take over and it's like without me i'm here i'm the one helping you yeah. but the reality is he was gonna live out his dream and he's like i need you to live yours out as well because we can't be in this situation where one of us is thriving and the other person is barely surviving mm. um and
1: did that help your um your writing get any better now that you were able to see things differently
0: yeah so it made me start writing again mm-hmm. as an outlet so while he got all his books out at, in the nighttime and he's studying late at night instead of me pouting about him having to study I'm writing mm. I'm releasing even if it was me writing about how he was studying at night I'm writing <laughs> and it did allow me to release a lot of you know the frustration a lot of the negative thoughts that were not true thoughts, they were just emotions that I had to process, yeah. Um, and then it did eventually lead me to like, okay, what can I be doing, you know, right now? What there's got to be more to just me telling my stories, there has to be people that I can help. And so, of course, with social media, you have all these coaches and mentors and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I can help other people write their stories. I see other people who I started writing with, they're doing that now. My mom was. A writing coach you know some of my mentors were writing coaches um and i was like oh let me see what this is about so mm-hmm. that's when i started um britney holmes jackson and co bhj and co for short and um it didn't start out as what it is today which is like helping people literally write and publish and market their books it started out as simple stuff like editing and you know if you need writing tips or if i can do a writing workshop for you it was very Uh, front-loaded like where I was doing a lot of heavy lifting and then Mm -hmm. we eventually got to where I was able to you know do some make some passive income by creating courses and Mm -hmm. you know having maybe one-to-one clients every so often so Mm -hmm. but yeah Chris was definitely when you ask about where did you know support kind of show up from him um it came in a very awkward way (laughs) in a way that I wasn't used to but it definitely was probably the catalyst that got me to the business that I'm, you know, yeah, now. now.
1: That's beautiful. Oh, I love it. Thank you. I love and You tell your story so well. Like, yes, we could go up and down, and I can just follow. And you can come back and put a little bow on it. Yeah, I try because I know I
0: can go off on a tangent. I'd be like, let me bring this back. Look, we, we, we whip it around. We got it. We made
1: a U turn, came yeah. back, and then we we literally got back to a place where you you made it make it made it make sense for Absolutely. all of us. I can't. I cannot. Like, r- I can't. um express how crazy like you just kind of freed me when when you oh, think wow. about like when we get upset as women we might say like we, let's just throw like the seasoners I know you know they're supposed to be here and all of a sudden he just he takes his whole afternoon to fix the seasonings <laughs> so, so that you'll never be mad again you're like it wasn't about the seasonings. <laughs> I
0: was mad and I need you to acknowledge that I was mad. <laughs> not tell me
1: that you understand yes. what i was saying. You literally just for, <laughs> he out here fixing the seasoners and you are just like no I it's done not it. Yes So <laughs> So one of the things when you so you mentioned um looking at social media, coaches out there mm-hmm. doing their thing. When you on your social media, one of the things is people historically, growing up, me, as I see writers, you I always think of like you know, like just <laughs> writers and yeah. the people I know who are writers are just kinda Uh, straight up and down but when you go to your page you're so fun you are
0: like super fun I try it's my photographer he's like bring it out of (laughs) me yeah he knows me so we uh, shout out to Brandon Martin Um, what is his handle at brand the underscore man the is like t-h-a though so you know we a little ratchet out here Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but he we went to uh college together and he also did tfa and we kind of lost touch but um we ended up teaching at the same school a few years ago and he that's his side hustle his photography and so I was like oh take some pictures for me and he's been taking pictures from me probably for the last two years or so and when we're together we just be cutting up And he be like you about to twerk ain't you I'm like yep yeah. <laughs> and so he snaps and I'm like oh I'm gonna use this I love um it. so I try to be very authentic uh there you know some people because I also consider myself a Christian entrepreneur some people may go a different route with that, but for me I'm like, listen, I'm holy and ratchet, like you going I'm religious righteous and (laughs) all the things like you're gonna get every part of me and i think it helps people relate Mm -hmm. in a way that they may not be able to relate to other people i'm also not like a mega influencer that's untouchable so even in the passive things that i might promote like my courses you're always going to have access to me because you can join a group that i'm that i might manage um or i will respond to you if you're in my dms or if you have a question i will Take a 15 minute call with you, and we can talk about your stuff without me trying to oversell you. Mm. Because for me, it's not about. Again, I don't think that full-time entrepreneurship is my calling. Mm-hmm. I think helping and serving people is what God has called me to do to encourage and empower and help people walk in their own purpose. And there's not a price tag that I can put on that. There's not a time, you know, frame that I can put on that where I'm like, oh, I can't help you today because, you know, such and such and such is happening. Um, so for me, it's just like, be you, girl. Mm-hmm. And if somebody got something to say, you know talk to yourself <laughs> yeah, I look at it right because I'm not even listening <laughs> at all, no, I love no, it I love no. it yeah but I do I have always said that people especially now on social media people aren't purchasing from you know just your page they're not purchasing because you you know put up a pretty and you know very you, I don't know I don't even want to say professional, but because all pictures are professional if a, a professional pr- photographer is taking them. Mm-hmm. But just because you put up a nice picture that looks like it should go on LinkedIn versus Instagram, it doesn't mean people are going to buy from you. Just because you even told them how much money you made in a certain amount of days, none of that matters if they don't know you and your story. Their people are buying from other people. Yeah, People are buying from people who they feel like are authentic, who are not robotic, mm-hmm. who are not, you know... Hopping in your inbox and immediately trying to sell you people thrive off a relationship And I think that's how I have been able to retain a lot of my clientele and get my clientele because if you ask me where do where does most of my clients come from It's word of mouth it's not even instagram it's not facebook it's not tiktok which i don't even use (laughs) um it's not any of those things people come to me because they heard that somebody else worked with me and that person had a good experience and they want to see what we can do together
1: i love that um when you think through your... You mentioned, like, the results part. Like, I think a lot of coaches, they really harp on, like, the, the mm-hmm. money. But I think mm-hmm. your transformation that you offer is not only, like, the writing coach mm-hmm. part. It sounds like you also help your clients dig into their story. Mm-hmm. Is there, like... What's, what's that transformation oh, look wow. like?
0: Um, most, if not all, I'm going to say most because I have a few who come ready. Um, most of my clients come not even knowing what their story is, but they know they have one. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a feeling that you have. It's like, I've been through too much not to be able to tell somebody about something, but I don't know where to start, because it's so much. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, courses that I actually offer is called Story From Scratch, and it's not a, here's how you write your story. That's kind of ingrained in there, but the first few parts of that particular course are literally about identifying where you are an expert or Mm. where you have experience and understanding um, how to break down barriers that prevent you from telling your story. Mm. So a lot of us deal with imposter syndrome. A lot of us deal with um, feeling unqualified, feeling like we're not capable or that our story is not worthy. And we talk about all that, like your story is yours, it's unique. Um, and then I also tell them you're going to come up against some myths while you're trying to write. I have had clients go through an eight week program and they get slowed down by physical ailments that wasn't there before. They have people, unfortunately, who have passed away. They begin to dig into their story and they're like, dang, I have not processed this. (laughs) One of my things is like, go to therapy Mm -hmm. while we're doing this Mm -hmm. because you're going to need it. And it's an amazing transformation to watch. Um, especially for the ones who are able to, uh, ap- you know, aptly apply what we're talking about mm. and get to the end and they're actually able to complete and write their story and share it in a way that's authentic to them because I've had some who not who went on to not write books yeah. and they are like on, have one client who's on a um, YouTube series and she's sharing her story there. She got recruited for um, like a reality show, so to speak. And I'm like, girl, she was like, I know I haven't finished the But I said, no, this is part of that process. And when you started with me, baby, you was not (laughs) trying to share like this. So um, I think that is something that I found to be very beautiful to just watch. It's almost like planting this seed and watering it and watering it and watering it. It just takes a while. But you Mm -hmm. begin to see it blossom, the sprouts. And it's the different parts of the blossoming process that I think, The authors themselves enjoy because they get to see like, oh, this is happening. Oh, here's this door opening up. Oh, I was just able to finish this part of the book. And by the time they're done, it don't matter how long it took them. They're just glad that they got there. And I think that's one of the other pieces is that it's not a process to rush. And a lot of coaches. Now they do and I don't knock it because there's an audience for that. It's just not my audience. Mm-hmm. But they're writing books in seven days. Yeah. Thirty days. And I'm yeah. like, okay, clearly you already know what your story is gonna be. My people who come to me are struggling to figure it out. And that's where I feel like I find the most purpose in helping them because yeah. that that therapeutic side comes in. I'm like, we can we can go to therapy tonight if that's yeah. what y'all want to do in tonight's session. Um mm. and we process it all. So that they can get it out on paper, um, and I I love it. I love watching it.
1: Do you feel um, so? You have your your bachelor's in psychology, mm-hmm. and you're gonna go back to school. So that uh, yeah, that I'm dynamic actually is almost gonna flip. done. So mm. I'm in my
0: technically this would be considered my final year. Mm. Um, I'm, it's a non traditional school online, so it just really depends on um, what, when I finish the requirements, but my my expectation is to graduate next summer okay
1: so when you go there with your clients like on a therapeutic level Mm -hmm. do you feel um equipped from both a professional and a personal level or do you feel like you lean more on personal than professional or do you feel like you lean more professional when you're helping them go there
0: i think it's both actually because i do try to use like (laughs) legitimate and ethical techniques my job is not to manipulate or to think that i even know what you're going through just because i have had personal experiences myself Mm -hmm. um my job is to help you process your information your experiences and Mm -hmm. you know figure out how that leads you to this end goal which is your purpose so i do lean on like A personal connection, like you know, we've all been here, type of a thing. Um, You're not alone, type of a you know strategy. But also, there's a necessity to focus on real therapeutic strategies, like you know, processing your entire story. So, if you need to say it to me from beginning to end, then let's talk about it. What are, how did you get here? Because that happens a lot too, where um, authors that I've worked with will write and I'll read something, I'm like, there's something missing here. You're not digging deep enough. The top three responses that I get when I ask, why do you want to leave corporate America? Are
1: that you want financial freedom, you want to own your own time, And you want to build a legacy for this generation and generations to come. Now, this is not a solo job. In order to transition from your 9 to 5 into entrepreneurship, it's going to take community and it's going to take resources. And I've created the community of pioneers who are going to wrap around you and help you make that transition successfully. So if you're interested in leaving your job, go ahead and click that information below. Let's get into the community and let's transition from your 9 to 5 into entrepreneurship successfully. Now let's get back to the episode
0: and for them it's like this all i remember (laughs) and in reality we have to actually go back and start from the beginning and i'll ask so how did you get to this emotion what was it about what this person said that triggered you had you heard something like that before had somebody else done this before and we'll process that way which is something that that you could experience in therapy Mm -hmm. um and by the time we're done then I added a whole <laughs> another part to the story that was missing before. And then it comes together. It's a lot more clear. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I lean on both.
1: I love it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you asked, you said that sometimes you'll refer them to go see a therapist. Do you provide like a list of like therapists you, you like to partner with or I how do you don't,
0: um, <clears throat> and the reason why I don't is because I don't want um there to be a conflict of interest so i don't do that i will typically because most of my clients are black women i will direct them to therapy for black girls which has an extensive site for you know african-american women in therapy um especially and it's broken down by like your location and things like that Mm -hmm. but i try not to i can't offer my own services of course Mm -hmm. but i also try not to Pinpoint them in any particular direction because I just don't want that conflict of interest or mm. for it to seem like I'm manipulating a situation for somebody to get therapy from somebody that, that I know. That you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't. It would be a good idea if I was not in practice at all. Got I it. could probably do something like mm-hmm. that. But because of the what's considered in therapy is, uh, what do they call it? Like when friends. Yeah. It's like yeah. a double. It's called double. A relationship dual relationships mm-hmm. so it's like I'm act already acting as your therapist and as a coach like and then I'm also kind of using my connections to get you yeah to work with people that I know it's just it can be very complicated right. and if something doesn't work out I don't want anybody to come back and be like well Brittany told me to go no mm-hmm. sis I said go to therapy for black girls yes yes so, <laughs> just kind of just keep it even keel yeah um that's a good idea though for anyone else who's in you know, this type of a field. Yeah. Um, and they want to offer that, I think a a list of therapists, um, would be amazing actually. Mm.
1: Well, you know, I was actually thinking about so I as a coach Um, As a career coach, I oftentimes will suggest therapy as well. Mm -hmm. But because I'm getting my master's in social work, I think based on what you're saying, it actually would behoove me not to create a list because I am actually thinking, okay, who do I know would be a good person for them? And then when you think about an environmental perspective, Mm -hmm. they are my friends and you become a part of the ecosystem. And then if if something does go wrong, then it comes back. Absolutely.
0: Now, another thing I I could another thing that could do, that you could do because i probably wouldn't do it still but like just ask for recommendations like a mm. social media post on your platform because now you're acting as like you know, a reference so yeah. and then you can put on your files hey these are all references and that your company name is not liable for any you know negative experiences or things like that just as a disclaimer mm-hmm. but if you ask for those references then it's less likely to be people that you know mm. um you know Facebook, uh, social um, Instagram post tag mm-hmm. your favorite therapist or your most highly yeah. recommended therapist in the comments yeah. and you can get a curated list just like that
1: <laughs> look if y'all see that on my page that's exactly <laughs> why I literally am about to do this after the recording so just, just know that. that that's why I did that and I will
0: come comment because <laughs> you know I work with an uh, um, amazing team of black female therapists awesome. um, so I'll definitely put our information on there and see i can do it for your page not for mine
1: absolutely i am thank you for supporting this yes. because i want to be able to provide a nice ecosystem of people who can yeah. understand what my clients are going through um because i used to i used to be um at field i used to be in my field place in emory but mm-hmm. those psychiatrists it's, it's, you probably find like one mm-hmm. black psychiatrist yeah. right it's tough it's so, so streets. thank you for sharing it You're welcome. now <clears throat> you have your book here i do and uh, this I think, in here too. yeah, we probably got through. Did we get through anything? What? Into this? Yes.
0: No, girl. My life is a whole. I I gave you a book. I probably need to start writing that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. We didn't get to this at all, and.
1: Yeah. Tell me something. So based on because so tell me, what's the name of your book?
0: Okay, Um, it is called Hannah's Prayer. I'm going to show it to people who are viewing the recording. Um, It's called Hannah's Prayer. It's a devotional for women who are experiencing infertility and desiring to birth greatness um i will go ahead and say that i wrote this prior to little uh cj cooking it it's actually cj i don't know why i said bean pie earlier you did say little bean pie i ain't never called this baby no bean pie (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um So, yes, there's something in here, not just, you know, my lunch. Um, (laughs) Just so you know. Just so you know, (laughs) sis was working out real heavy during quarantine, and boom. um, So, the book was written. It wasn't finished, though, before I found out I was pregnant, which is a story. Um, But the book was written during my conception process when Mm. I was trying to, my husband and I, we were trying to conceive, um. So, a, a backstory. I had my birthing plan all set up prior to marriage. Did you? So, yes. My whole life was set up. I got married later than I was supposed to. I got I had. I'm pregnant later than I was supposed to be. And it was just all based on what I saw my mom and my grandmother go through. So you can just imagine what age I thought I was gonna be having kids at. Um, <laughs> but when Chris came into the picture my desire was to begin having children immediately and that didn't happen and we also weren't on the same page about that because he wanted to finish school so he can provide um for his family so there's a lot of things that we had to jump over and get through regarding that but i started writing hannah's prayer because god told me to i was literally most all of my other books are fictional books um And I was writing another fictional book. Christian fiction is the genre for what I normally write. Mm -hmm. And I was literally in the middle of another book. And I just couldn't write anything. I was like, I got this whole outline for this whole book. This entire story is outlined. I should just be able to write it. And I wasn't able to. And it was because I was dealing with this whole conception thing. Um, I will give out a disclaimer. I have never been diagnosed as infertile, but as I began having conversations with people who were having similar issues, and these were black women, 20, late 20s, early 30s, and I'm just like, nobody ever told me that we could struggle to have kids. I'm looking around and I'm thinking everybody's just popping (laughs) out children. But no, like a lot of us, we have fibroids, Mm -hmm. we have PCOS, we have other things that prevent us and then our husbands, probably unbeknownst to them or our partners, they don't know that they might have something wrong because it's so hard to get them to go to the doctor. Um, That's a fact. (laughs) But yeah, it was just a lot and I was like, oh wow. I didn't realize we were all struggling like this. Um, And I'm talking, you know, 25, 26, 27, 30, 31 miscarriages and stillborns. And and I'm just like, oh my goodness. So I just started writing my story and there was a lot of it that pertained to me, um, but a good amount of it also related to other people and their journeys, whether they were actually trying to have children or not, which is some of the feedback that I've gotten. Um, but a lot of it was about like how to wait on God, mm. because of what happens is we have this age <laughs> at which we feel like we should be having children. For me, I was supposed to be done by 26. Mm -hmm. Don't judge, (laughs) like when was you gonna start if you're supposed to be done by 26? (laughs) But that was what my mama did, and I was like, I I wanna have all my kids early so I can live my little uh, middle-aged life. (laughs) Um, And the idea is we start doing all these things to our bodies, we start spending all this money, We get all upset and riled up because it's not happening and it's because it's not time for it to happen so essentially that's what the book is about it's about aligning your timeline with god so it can be for anybody to be honest if you not if you're waiting for something to happen and you find yourself doing all the things Mm -hmm. (laughs) to try to make it happen Mm -hmm. um and it's not working out it's probably because it's not the right time god hasn't you know released you to be able to do this thing yet maybe you're not prepared maybe you are not doing all the other stuff that he told you to do so for me it was fulfilling my entire call to the ministry um <laughs> and anybody who's watching who knows me knows why I wrote my eyes like that I can feel the <laughs> reluctance there's a lot of people out there god like, me really So that, when I said earlier that I was, I am currently fulfilling my dad's legacy, he was also a minister, Mm. Um, and that was something that was prophesied for those who are spiritual prophecies, you know, somebody just spoke over my life when I was younger and said that I would carry on the mantle that he left behind, and it was to be carried on in ministry. Granted, I don't know what that still, even now, what that means, because... I'm not trying to be a preacher. Um, that was me letting God know that mm-hmm. that's what I'm not going to do. But also, I've been telling him what I'm not going to do for a long time. And he over there laughing. <laughs> and he, just, he, laughing. <laughs> he be laughing and be like, okay, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, well, that was one of the things mm. that I was kind of running from during this time. I also was, you know. Taking everybody else's advice about what to do. Um, there's a part of the book that lets you guys in on my intimate life and how I, my libido, like, completely disappeared because I only wanted to have sex if we was gonna have a baby. And like I said, me and Chris weren't always on the pa- same page for that. And so, if that's what when he wasn't what he was trying to do, I was mm-hmm. like, whoop. Well. You know? yeah, I'm just gonna be selfish and withhold myself, which is absolutely not okay, ever. Um, Especially in your marriage, but that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) 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 topic and subject. But yeah, the book allowed me to process a lot of what I was going through while I was going through it. And then, what, three? 4 weeks before it came out I found out I was pregnant so I was able to add that to um my testimony and I was like okay god during this process I gave my yes so I became an ordained minister um and I want to say the Sunday after being ordained is when I actually found out that I wow. was there
1: and i'm just like like like, you holding out on me as soon as you give me what i want i'll give you what you want and granted
0: you know i can sit here and be like it's a coincidence and other people have like asked me if i realized the timeline and i was like no because i wasn't paying attention i just did it because i knew it was time to stop saying no you know Mm -hmm. thank you so much for watching the work and play podcast This
1: episode is sponsored by the Boss Up Conference, which is a community for entrepreneurs, CEOs, celebrities, and corporate executives to come together, network, and solve some problems. Thank y'all so much for being supporters of the Work and Play podcast, and thank you for watching the Work and Play podcast and all the
0: episodes before. Now let's get back to the episode. And to stop being disobedient, uh, still not fully ready and prepared for what all it means, but I was just tired of like, the call consistently coming to me, and I'm just constantly turning it down. And in my mind, I'm like, how dare I ask God for something? And he asked me for this one thing. I'm asking him to help me pay my bills every month. I'm asking him for all this food on my table. I'm asking him to help me on my job and help me have this baby and help me in my marriage. And he just say, I just want you to say yes mm-hmm. to, you know, serving in mm-hmm. your call. You're already doing it. Technically, mm-hmm. it's just a title that right. we're adding to it. And I was like, okay, now I feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad, so let me, you know, figure out what I need to do. And for me, it was like, okay, just relinquish that control. And that also meant relinquishing control over my body. Um, So that meant getting into a healthier space. So the first part of quarantine, I had gained a lot of weight. The latter half of quarantine, the latter half being last summer through the beginning of this year, I got healthier, um, got my body back to where it normally is. Um, I also, you know, sacrificed a few things that I knew God wanted me to sacrifice during that time and then eventually accepted the call into ministry and here is baby. Um, So that's all a part of the story and it's not meant, the book is not meant to make people feel like they can't have desires outside of the outside of what god wants for them it's just simply about aligning yourself so that things will fall into place and then going back to that preparation making sure you're ready because i wouldn't think about having a baby when i found out that i was actually pregnant which Mm -hmm. is what everybody said it was like it's gonna happen when you're not even thinking about it and I had said, "I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm about to go out here and have a hot wife summer." <laughs> Body was right. <ripe. laughs> it's like the, they letting us back outside. I'm vaccinated. Let's go. And boom, May. Oh, you pregnant girl? You ain't going nowhere. Um, granted, I still enjoyed the first part of this summer, but um, but yeah, it was just it was a, a definitely a journey that led to a severe wake up call. So now I kind of approach everything. That comes my way even with teaching and hoping that this is my last year if it's not i already know like it's because god said it's not time Mm -hmm. so when it's time it'll be time and the timing will be right to the point where it won't even be something to excuse me to have to plan for or think about it'll just work out accordingly um so yeah that's hannah's prayer
1: OK, I definitely have to get into it. Yeah. And if the listeners are interested in getting into that story, we will definitely have the information in the description below and um, both on the, both the podcast and on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, that. Thank
0: you for letting me share, because I definitely brought this in as a gift for you for inviting me here. But I'm glad you allowed me to talk. About yeah,
1: absolutely. It. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get in because we said birthing. Um, you said birthing I want to say you said yes Yes. birthing greatness because I thought you know it sounds like yes you could really it could be a story for someone birthing a business or birthing a baby and
0: that's what I wanted it to be granted the way God led me to write it it does focus a lot on pregnancy Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't get into all of like the IVF or like if you have any type of pre-existing condition or anything like that it's just simply because in in not reality, but in the divine, that none of that matters. You can have all the things that say you can't have a child, but if God says you're supposed to, then you will. So he didn't allow me to focus on all of those things, even though the title says women dealing with infertility. Infertility is just meaning that you're not producing in the way that God designed for you to produce. So whether you have something medically that's holding you back from that or spiritually that's holding you back from that the book focuses on how to align yourself with God's purpose and timing for your life Mm -hmm. so though it again focuses heavily on the pregnancy journey I've had people read it And if it helps them with understanding, like how to align other parts of their life Mm -hmm. with God's timing and his will and his purpose. And which is what I wanted it to do. And I wanted it to do it a little bit more. But again, like the way he led me to write it does focus primarily on, you know, birthing children. But you can be birthing anything. And it still needs to follow these same concepts of being within his will and being aligned with him.
1: That's beautiful mm-hmm. well thank, thank you for being tapped in yes. to, to like what it is that you're supposed to be doing and just listening when you can. Yeah. We are all human so sometimes yeah. we try to make something happen yeah. um, not in a sense that you're planning something that God doesn't necessarily have for you but when you think about your ideal um, lineup, after you leave, if you know after you leave teaching behind mm-hmm. is the perfect mix going to be like one-on-one therapy mm-hmm. and then um coaching like writing coaching yeah. is that so the idea the
0: goal um, it's funny because my husband asks me all the time or he says all the time like once you know once i'm done you can do your business full-time And it's like no you know i'm not i'm not one to I don't think I'm cut out for entrepreneurship full time. There's a lot of work there and a lot of uncertainty and there's not a there's not a lot of security. That's just being honest. People who can do it, I, you know, definitely hats off to you all. I need a level of security that I don't feel entrepreneurship will provide me Mm -hmm. um as an individual because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like oh well your husband's gonna be a doctor you'll be good even if the business don't work out well Mm -hmm. i'm not sitting on my behind at Mm -hmm. the house raising Mm -hmm. kids either Mm -hmm. um and that's just my truth so for me the goal is to um finish school be able to practice therapy and have a therapeutic practice while also continuing the business and for me both of those will um serve as a means for me to walk in purpose therapy will be full time for me and my um my literary agency will continue as is i do have a lot of hopeful plans but again it depends on what god allows right um for it to expand into a, a, a true agency that encompasses other employees i do have like contracted workers and stuff now to where i can pass a project off to them and they are doing most of the work but i'm looking for um bhj and co to grow into a full um consulting agency for authors mm-hmm. who are looking to You know, build out courses, Mm -hmm. have um, speaking engagements that they can just readily be um, called into and just a full service agency. And I want that to thrive without me having to have my hands in every little thing. So that's the long term plan for BHJ and Co., But for me, as, you know, my purpose and my calling, therapy will be something that I do full-time. That's beautiful.
1: Hey, guys, it's Ariel from the Work and Play podcast. If you're getting any value from this channel, and I mean anything from the tutorials to the podcast to the random videos that you see on this channel, then I just ask that you do one thing. Please subscribe. Subscribe and share this to anyone that you think this resonates with. And drop a comment below so I know what other things that you want to see next. Now let's get back to the episode. I can't wait to start referring people to you. (laughs) Yes, because when you go to her page, you can tell, like most people, not most people, but I would love a therapist who is a real person and Mm -hmm. can intently listen to me and help me dig deep. So when I saw that picture on your uh, Instagram, (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) So, yes, thank you so much for being on the couch with me and sharing your story. Thank you
0: for having me. This was fun. And I love, I love your method and your setup because it didn't feel like an interview which is what you said you didn't want it to be it definitely felt like a genuine conversation absolutely so I love it
1: yeah thank you well you have been a wonderful guest so if you're if you are listening to Brittany's story and you resonate with any part of it then I highly suggest you you connect with her so if they are interested in staying connected with you Mm -hmm. buying your book or even reaching out for your services how can they connect with you
0: absolutely so I am on Instagram and Facebook at the Brittany Jayway, way and that's at T H E B R I T T N E Y J <laughs> A Y W A Y. Um, and then my website is Brittany Holmes, Brittany is B R I T T N E Y again, um, Brittany And those are probably the best places to reach me. If you're interested in anything, um, that we talked about today. Um, the only other place I would recommend is my Facebook group. It's called The Publish and Profit Community nice. with Brittany Holmes Jackson mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, we're a group of about 600 writers who just enjoy supporting one another, helping one another. I offer tips and strategies, but there's also other people in the group who are at different stages in their writing who contribute with questions, are their own tips and strategies as well. So feel free to join. They're awesome.
1: Please do. Well, until next time, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you for listening. And thank you to the most beautiful Miss Brittany for joining us.
0: Peace out, guys.